Thank you, team. We've got a great team here in life every Sunday morning. These guys up here, the tech, the welcome team. Some of you came in and you poured coffee while the team showed up to prepare that coffee for you. Downstairs, just a fabulous team of adults and youth working together to teach our kids to, to move up and out in new life in Jesus Christ. And so uh, thankful for that. So we come to God's Word, and that's what we do every week here at New Life Community Church. We want to just stop and pray, because today, actually, we're looking at a prayer of the Apostle Paul, so let's stop and pray before we get into God's Word, but before, just before I pray, I want to just allow for a moment for you, just quietly, where you're seated, to pray, because maybe this morning, you came here, and there was something you were really worried about, or something that was heavy on your mind, or something that's distracting you, even this moment, and as we come to God's Word, and as we focus on Jesus, <coughs> prayer is a way to just recalibrate and recenter and get our, our hearts and minds back where they need to be. So let's take a few moments, just a few seconds of quiet prayer, and then I will just commit our, our sermon time to the Lord together. God, we thank you that you've called us here this morning. That everyone in this room, you know them intimately. You, you're aware of the struggles they face this week and even this morning. You're aware of our fears, of our worries, of our anxieties. You're aware of our weaknesses and even of our sin. And we thank you that in Christ we come today and we can come forgiven, declared righteous, come as your children, we come accepted, we come having been set free, we come today to your word and pray that it would speak to our hearts, use this imperfect instrument, Lord, up here, me, to communicate your truth, may I be faithful to it, and apply it to our lives, Lord, that we might continue to move up and out in the new life that only Jesus Christ can provide, and so we pray this in Jesus' name. Prayer is one of those weird things. You, know, you, uh, you can talk about prayer, you can, you can study prayer, and some people's experience of prayer is, is meaningful, some people's experiences of prayer are, are rote and are kind of things that you do. Maybe you grew up in a church where things were recited and read all the time. It didn't seem very personal. Uh, I spent a few years in a very kind of religious setting where we would have a prayer meeting, and of course that's a very spiritual thing, but then we prayed for a lot of sick people and, and people I didn't know, and I kind of thought, is, this, is that it for prayer? Just kind of sick, random relatives that we kind of bring up to the Lord and for concerns? And, and then I, I discovered in the New Testament, Paul's prayer. And not once does Paul pray for someone's sick auntie or uncle. Not that we shouldn't do that. I'm just saying that, that not once is it recorded a prayer of his where he's like, and pray for, you know, Joe's sister's niece who has, you know, a, you know, a mole on her shoulder, you know, I mean, I mean you, know, you know what I'm saying. I mean, I, I've been in prayer meetings where that's happened, and you're thinking, oh, is this really the content of our prayers? Paul begins the book of Colossians, and I don't know if you were here last week, but let me just remind you, and he, he kind of paints a target. For the Colossians, he says, do you remember when you received Jesus Christ, when you accepted the gospel, you became centered and focused, and I heard about your faith. 
I heard about the love that you have for the saints. I heard about the hope that you now have. He says, and this gospel which you received is the gospel which is being heard all over the world and it's having this regenerative effect where people are coming to know Jesus Christ and centering their lives on him. And that's the gospel today that we are receiving here. We continue in this tradition that Paul talks about in the book of Colossians. This rule of faith, this, this, this history of, of, of people telling other people about Jesus and them turning their lives to him and centering their lives on Jesus. Now this week, at periods of this week, you may have been centered on Jesus, but other parts you weren't. Because I know from personal experience, as I prepared this series, even in August, I was going through the book of Colossians, and I just realized how utterly convicting this is, how many times that, that I, I kind of throw the target away, and I just set my mind on something totally different. And then it seems like my anxiety goes up, my fear goes up, my worry goes up, my, you know, my impatience goes up, and I'm like, and then, then, then I, I get back to the target, and I'm like, okay, just wait a second i got to get Jesus in the center. And then suddenly things begin to, to work out better in my life. We t- I talked about how, you know, you, you are a parent. You, are a, you have relationships. You have a, a work life. You have, you know, pursuits outside of work, you know, the, you know sports or, or arts or whatever it is. I mean, we have all these aspects of our life, but the Bible presents a supreme center, Jesus Christ. That when we get this right, everything else finds its appropriate place in our life. And Paul writes this letter to the book, to the people in Colossians. It's now recorded in the Holy Scriptures for us to learn from today. And he sends them this letter. And in verse 9 today, which is where we're starting in Colossians chapter 1, he talks about the prayer. He says, For this reason we also, from the day we've heard about you, have not ceased praying for you. So understand this. Paul had never been to Colossae. He visited Ephesus, a huge, you know, metro, you know, metro, metro, metropolitan area there in, in Asia Minor, and and through Ephesus, he he saw many people come to faith in Christ, and he trained them up, and he sent them out. One of these guys was a guy named Epaphras. He went back to his hometown in Colossae and said, "Guess what I've discovered? I discovered this new life in Jesus Christ." And he shares it, and people get on with Jesus, and then other people come along and say, "Yeah, you got Jesus, but you're missing something because you're missing out the Jewish stuff, or or you're missing out these secret, you know, mysteries and all these, you know, extra revelations and." And all this stuff was coming in, and, and Epaphras goes back to Paul and says, look, Paul, I don't know what to do with this, because the people have received Christ, they're moving forward, they have faith, they have love, they have hope, but I'm just worried because they're getting raged with all this other stuff. And so Paul says, no, from the day I heard about you guys, I have not stopped praying for you. And I'm asking for two main things. The first one is the end of verse 9 there. I'm asking that he would fill you with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want you guys to get God's will. Now, here's, if you grew up in the church and kind of did churchy things, you, you might have heard this kind of phrase, you know, God's will. And sometimes, you know, we, we, we view God's will as some, like, like, mysterious path that you had to find the exact steps in order to not fall into a great abyss below, you know. Well, you know, what, what, is, what is God's will, you know? Like, you know, sh- sh- should I, you know, brush my teeth with blue toothpaste or green toothpaste? You know, should I buy the red sweater or the, the you know, the pink sweater? I mean, I mean you know, and people just freak out about this little decisions. That's not what he's talking about, God's will. Or when I was in Bible college, we, we would kind of use God's will as sort of a, a spiritual excuse to, for, to, to mask our immaturity. So you'd be dating a girl, right? And, uh, and, and 
or vice versa. A guy would be, you know, girl would be dating a guy. And, and, you know, of course, the first few dates are always usually pretty good. And then at some point, either, either you go forward or, or you, you go away, right? You're kind of like, ah, that's, that's, that was good. I, I enjoyed it, but now it's time to, to make a new path. So in, in our spiritual maturity, you know, you, you'd go to the girl and you'd say, you know, I don't think it's God's will for us to date anymore, you know? <laughs> and of course, what's a girl supposed to say to that, you know? Like, oh, so, so you know, I mean, a smart girl would say, so was it God's will for us to start dating? Like, like what happened? Were you disobedient when, we, you, know, like, you know, but, you know, of course, the girl's just like, oh, I don't, you know, how do you answer that, you know, spiritual guy, right? You know, the honest man would say, I'm not mature enough to be in a relationship. And now we're getting to a place where I got to get serious, and so I'm running away because I'm afraid of a commitment. Or, I mean, we're not honest. Well, it's not God's will, you know? And this, this is not what he's talking about here, that kind of, you know, spiritual manipulation. Uh, sometimes we take chance kind of things in our life as God's will, right? Like, you know, wow, I went to the Coach purse store. I remember the uh, purse for 650 bucks, and I, I checked my, my debit balance. I have 660 bucks, so obviously it's God's will that I buy this purse, you know? And no, 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 you know? You know, I went to the bus stop. There was a guy. I, I should date that guy. No, no, no. I mean, you know, this is not what he's talking about. But what he wants them to realize, having received the gospel, having got on target with God and with Jesus Christ, that they now are part of God's eternal plan for the ages. That God has this master plan of history, and now that you are part of his family, guess what? You're part of his plan. And that God wants to use your life in incredible ways that you would have never experienced before when you were not part of his family. You're now part of of his business. His kingdom is the biblical term that's used. I want you to have a knowledge of of this will, that you are part of God's overall master plan for the universe and and for for redemption and for salvation for other people. And and now you're, you're doing stuff that actually makes an eternal difference. I want you to know this will, this knowledge of God's will, and it comes through this spiritual wisdom and understanding. Uh, those terms are kind of loaded terms. Uh, God's will is, is discovered as we read his word, as we come to grow in our relationship with God, as we, as we immerse ourselves. If you're not reading God's word, if you're not talking to other believers about God's Word, if you're not growing together and, and by yourself in God's Word, I mean, you'll never understand God's will because this spiritual wisdom and understanding comes from His Word. I mean, sometimes we want special revelations from God, right? Wouldn't it be nice, right? Yeah, buy that house, don't buy that house. Move, take that job, don't take that job. I mean, sometimes the Holy Spirit gives us that peace. Other times you're like, I don't know what decision I'm, I'm supposed to make, and you kind of just have to step forward. But the reality with God's will is when you're walking in obedience with God in a right relationship with Him, He gives you the capacity to make good decisions. He's like, I want you to be so filled with God and His Word and His truth that you just make the right decisions and that you realize that your life has an eternal scope in mind and that God now has you as part of his master plan for the universe and that that you're part of his kingdom agenda and that that he wants to work in and through your gifts your abilities your personalities your history your experience for his greater glory that's the knowledge of his will I don't know if you did you even think about that this past week just think about this past week how many times have you stopped and say man my life is part of God's big picture and big plan 
He has me in this job for a reason. He, he has me living on this street with these people for a reason. My, you know, I go to school with these people for a reason. And, and it's because his master plan is working in and through my life, even when it doesn't feel like it is. He is. And it's in the little things. But it comes as God fills us with the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. The first two chapters of Colossians is going to talk about that. Because people were coming into Colossae and saying, yeah, I know you were told this about Jesus, but let me tell you something else that, that you should focus on. Did you, have, you, have you discovered the, the deeper hidden mysteries? Or have you, have you discovered how Judaism and, and the Jewish laws can actually enhance your spiritual experience? And, and what about angels? Man, maybe you need a personal angel. And, and, and they're bringing all this other stuff into the gospel. And, and, and here the book of Colossians says, just get back on target with Jesus Christ. The knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. Get back to the word. Get back to Christ. Keep the focus. The first two chapters are going to just talk about that. Staying focused on Jesus. And then he's going to talk about what does that focus look like in real life? That's what we find in verse 10 of the prayer. It says, so that you may live worthily of the Lord. Please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good deed, growing in the knowledge of God. And he goes on, but basically that you might live worthily of the Lord. Or, or literally in Greek, it's walk worthy of the Lord. That this belief that you have, this focus, would actually translate into concrete behavior. That, that, that you wouldn't just talk about loving Jesus, but actually it would be seen in the way in which you live your life. That you would live a life worthy of the Lord. Now some of us struggle with this concept. I think, how, how do I understand this? Well, you know, I understand like years ago in, in Calgary, there was a man who worked for the city of Calgary. I think he was either in the police or the fire department. And he was involved in some kind of nefarious activities with some kind of escort agency. It was just sketchy. And when this was discovered, they exposed him and they fired him. Why? Because he was acting in a manner unworthy of the place in which he worked. Like, I'm just praying that as you're filled with the knowledge of God's will and spiritual wisdom and understanding, that you would now, that would translate into real concrete behavior. That you would live worthy of the Lord and that you would please him in every respect. You know how it is to please people, right? We have this innate need to do that. You go to a little gymnastics meet and these little three, four-year-olds, you know, they're little leotards and they're getting on the little balance beam. And, and what are they doing? They're looking to see if mom's watching. Grandma watching. Hey, grandma, you know. Go to the band concert and kids are squawking and squeaking on instruments and it's painful. But, but what are the kids doing as they're sitting down? They're, they're looking and they're scanning the crowd. Where's mom? Where's dad? Sporting events. My kids still come and say, hey, dad, did I do a good job? I'm like, yeah, you did a great job. I mean, I would never say anything else anyway, right? You know, because they want to please me. It's like as you get focused on Jesus, as God fills you with the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding, you want to live a life worthy and you want to please God with your life. You don't need to be told, don't do this, do that, don't do that, because you're just like, you are thinking about what would please my Father in heaven? What would please Jesus Christ, my Savior? What would please the Holy Spirit in this instance? You, you're thinking about that and it comes out in your behavior. You know, my, my parents were not overly strict with me as a teenager. They, they probably should have been stricter. But there was something intrinsic in my heart that didn't want to disappoint them. 
They didn't have to tell me to be home at a certain hour because I just knew if I, if I came home later, they'd be like, well, what were you doing? I'm like, oh, well, you know, and so, so I, I came home. They didn't have to tell me not to, you know, go and get drunk and drive home because I was like, no, I'm not going to get drunk and drive home. That's the stupidest thing. And I'm like, I was always thinking about that. I'd go to places where people were doing that stuff, and I'd be like, no, I, I can't do that because I've got to drive home, and, and I don't want to have to explain that to my parents, you know. And, and I, I, I was just thinking about, I want to please my parents with good choices. And then that translated as I got my life back focused on Jesus. I'm like, no, actually, I want to please Jesus. I mean, I, I'm not going out and having sex with girls on the weekend, not just because, you know, I might get an STD or I might get them pregnant. No, it's because I want to please God with my life. I've got a new center, a new focus. I want to save that for marriage. That you would live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm doing this series. I'm preparing in advance. I'm, I'm working on study guides. And I'm thinking, in every way, please Him in every way. So as I mentioned several weeks ago, when someone cuts you off and and you say something in the car that's less than kind, is that pleasing to God? And your, parent, and your kids, you know, repeat it back to you. You're like, that doesn't sound very nice, does it? You know, and am I pleasing him? The way I treat the people, at, kids at school, am I pleasing him? The way I put in the time at work, is that pleasing to God? The way I interact with my spouse, my kids, my parents, is that pleasing to God? Please him in every way. And, but but, he, but he, 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 he bears that out in, in, in four different ways that we live a life worthy and that we, we please him. He, he puts four different participles there. And the first one, first two, we see them there. Bearing fruit, growing in the knowledge of God. And he'll talk about being strengthened. And he'll talk about being thankful. He'll say, okay, you, you, you want some specifics? Let me give you specifics. The first thing is when you're living a life worthy of the Lord, you bear fruit. There's an apple tree just in the yard next to me there yesterday and some of the apples are really nice you know little tarts that look nice but then there's some that have split some that are brown some when you see little things crawling out of them you know and you throw those to the chickens you know but you know what kind of fruit are you producing in your life he's like when you're when you're grounded in, in god's filled with god's will and you're walking a life worthy of the lord pleasing him in every way this fruit flows out of your life that comes from jesus the target produces this fruit. That, I, that, that The way you talk, the way you respond to people, the compassion you have, the kindness, the mercy, the grace, it's a reflection of the heart centered on Jesus Christ. Now that's not always easy. A person that's always negative and critical, they're, they're a little bit off target. That's not the fruit that Jesus produces. A person that's stingy, that's not generous. That's not the fruit that Jesus produces. A person that, that has no time to sacrifice to serve others, that's not the fruit that Jesus produces. Jesus never made excuses of being bit too busy. He was super busy, but he always found time to do what needed to get done. He, he didn't make excuses for other people either. He just said, you know, either get on with me or, or go somewhere else, but I'm inviting you to something greater, something bigger, something more significant than anything you've ever done or imagined. A person that's walking worthy of the Lord is bearing fruit. Can you look at your life and, and see fruit? Is there something that says, man, I, I, the things I'm doing are actually making a difference for God's kingdom. I mean, I mean, it might just be that you're an incredible employee and, and your workplace is blessed because you're there. And that is a, a reflection of this. 
Christians should be the best employees in every business because of the presence of God in and through us as that works out in the way we interact with others, the quality of work that we do. It's a reflection of Jesus Christ, bearing fruit in every good work, but also growing in the knowledge of God. As you stay on this target and as God fills you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding, you're spending time in God's word, you're growing in the knowledge of God. Understand, in 1992, I went to Bible college. I'd grown up in church my whole life. Gone to Sunday school, so I went, went to Sunday school, I went to church service, I went to youth group, I went to camps, and I, and, and I went to youth retreats, and I, and I just filled myself. I thought, I've got the edge on Bible college, this will be so easy, <laughs> I'll just breeze through. And I got my first week, and I'm like, man, I don't know anything. <laughs> I know nothing. I graduated three years later, I'm like, man, I still have a lot to learn. I went to, to seminary and got a master's degree, and I'm like, yes, I've studied at a deeper level. I've studied the original languages, and I still am barely scraping the surface. I continued my studies. I've continued to study now, and I still haven't mastered it. So what I'm saying is there's not a person in this room that has mastered it. As we stay on target, we continue to grow in the knowledge of God. People over 50, I'm just giving you a warning. You can stop growing. You can just atrophy. You go into spiritual atrophy because you just sort of, I know enough. I got enough. I'm good. Paul prays. I'm just praying you continually grow in the knowledge of God. This is a present tense verb. You continually, constantly, always are growing in the knowledge of God. You never stop growing. I love encountering senior saints that are just passionate about Jesus, learning new things about Jesus. There was a lady back in my old church, her name was Lois Saviso, in her 80s, had gone through lots of trials in her life, outlived several husbands, children, even a grandson had passed away, and she was discovering things about Jesus every week. And I said, Lord, make me like Lois when she's in her 80s. Like when I'm in my 80s, I don't even make to 80. When I'm in my 70s, I want to be like Lois. You know, she just kept growing. Don't what it means to live a life with the Lord. And he continues in verse 11. He talks about being strengthened. With all power, according to his glorious might, for the display of patience and steadfastness. And he kind of piles up the terms there. I don't know if you see that, but he, he talks about being strengthened with, with power and might. And he's, he's piling up the, the terms here. He's like, the reality is, life is hard. It's difficult. It's painful. There is suffering involved in life. And, and, and as you live a life worthy of the Lord, as you stay focused on the target, God will strengthen you. And the strengthening is that you will have this patience and steadfastness. Patience is the ability to endure difficult situations. Steadfastness or endurance is the ability to endure difficult people. Anyone have any of those this week? You know, difficult situations, difficult people, probably together usually, you know. I mean, there's someone in some situation like that in your life. And he says, if you are walking worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every way, this is what is going to happen. You're going to discover God's strength. You're going to bear fruit. You're going to grow in the knowledge of God. But you're going to discover this strengthening, continual strengthening. This is the difference that Christianity provides. Other religions don't have an answer for suffering. It's just kind of random, and they're like, they, they, they can't explain it away. They kind of have ways of circling around it, but there's just no answer for suffering. Christianity provides an answer for suffering. Yeah, it's the result of sin in the world. 
and Christ came to, to resolve that situation. But the reality is we're still living in a sinful world, so people get sick. Tragedies happen. Accidents occur. But he says, in all this, as you live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing in every way, you discover the strength to persevere and endure through those difficulties of life. Those kids at school that are absolute jerks, morons to you, you have the ability to be steadfast and endure through that. Those ladies in the office, they're horrible. They antagonize you. You have the ability to be strong in the midst of that situation, that horrible family situation you're walking through right now. And God knows exactly what you're going through. And you know what I'm talking about. It's a mess. But as you live a life worthy of the Lord, staying focused on Jesus, you receive his strength for that situation, which you need and which I need. I don't have the internal resources to, to manage life, but Christ provides it for me as I and filled with the knowledge of his will, and as I live a life and walk in a manner that pleases him, and I'm bearing fruit, I'm growing in the knowledge of God, I'm being strengthened with this patience and endurance. And joyfully, verse 12, it says, I'm also being thankful, giving thanks. I'm just appreciative. And he's worth appreciative because of what God has done for us. Sometimes in life, we... we we just see the glass half empty all the time, right? It's like there's always something to complain about. There's always something to criticize, always something to be like, oh, I wish it was warmer. I wish it was cooler. I wish it wasn't windy. I wish it wasn't snowing. I wish we had snow, you know? And we go back and forth. This is Alberta reality, right? Like, whatever it is, we, we wish it was something else, you know? And, oh, I wish we had rain. Oh, I wish we had no rain. And, and, and he says, I just want you to understand that as you center your life in Jesus Christ, you'll discover a habitual pattern of thanksgiving. This joyful thanksgiving, which isn't dependent on circumstances because it goes beyond our circumstances to the reality of our position in Jesus Christ. You're giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the saints' inheritance and life. That word qualified, you understand that term. If you're new to Canada, you understood that if you had to go through an application process, that there are certain markers and points given for different things. And my brother-in-law tried. He's from Australia. He married my sister in the United States. He was going to come to Canada, but he didn't have enough points. He didn't qualify. Or you go to the bank. You want to buy that house. And they, they do the mortgage stress test on you. And they say, no, you don't qualify. <laughs> but then grandma comes along, or grandpa, or mom and dad, and they go into the bank, and they sign on your paper. And suddenly you qualify, right? Because <laughs> someone is co-signing. Jesus comes along and says, yeah, none of you qualify, but I will sign for you. I'll qualify you. And through Jesus Christ, we're qualified to receive and to benefit from this inheritance in the light. It's remarkable. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. Christ qualified for that. And of course, is that not a good reason to be thankful? If that's not enough reason, he goes on in verse 13, he talks about more reasons to be thankful. He says, he's delivered us from the power of darkness. And he'll talk about this later and more in Ephesians, but there is this sinister activity in the world around us. We don't see it. It's a spiritual battle. And it's like, you were part of that. You were stuck in that. You were in the rut. And he delivered you from that. He's, he's transferred you to the kingdom of the son he loves. I don't know if you've watched that movie, Unbroken. Don't watch it with your kids. It's, it's a pretty um, graphic 
reality movie about these guys that got shot down over the ocean and the Japanese captured them and stuck in this POW camp. It's, it's just the horrors of that whole situation. But these guys didn't give up. And at the end of that movie, like, I'm spoiling it for you if you didn't watch it. Sorry, but at the end of that movie, these guys are in this concentration camp somewhere in the North Sea you know, of, of Japan somewhere, and, and, and it's just awful and horrific, and, and suddenly these planes fly over, and they're American planes, and they're dropping stuff, and, and they just realize, oh, we've been liberated. Now, can you imagine? If that was it. There's no more captors, but you're stuck. We're going to leave you in Japan. See you. Hope you know, have a good life. But no, that's not what happened. What happened was planes land, planes and medical supplies come, they put clothes on them, and then what do they do? They take them back to the United States where they came from. They repatriate them. And when Christ came and we focused our life on Jesus, he repatriates us into God's family, where we belong. It's like when there's a hostage taking, right? You know, they, they go get the hostage, and they bring them back to the country where they came from, to Canada, the United States, or wherever, Britain, wherever they're from. You know, they go to the Middle East, and they bring them back, and this is what, what happens. He's, like, He's brought you back into his family. He's transferred you into the kingdom of the Son he loves. He's like, yeah, there, are, there is this tyrannical power at work in the world, and when you didn't know Jesus, you were under that power. But having come to Jesus, you've now been freed from that power, released from that oppression, brought into liberty because of Jesus Christ. Is that a reason to be thankful? Amen? That's a reason to be thankful. If you don't have Jesus, you're living in the dark. You're stuck in a POW camp. You're knee-deep in grime and muck, and, and you don't know where to go. And Jesus comes along and gives us a focus enables us to renew our lives in a different direction. And he talks uh, there in verse 14, he, he brings it to a conclusion. He says, you know, here we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Again, that redemption word means to, to free. It was the word used from the slave market where you would buy a slave and set them free. It was the, the freedom price of a slave. He's like, we, we were all slaves, we were destined to a life of meaninglessness, but Christ came and freed us from that. And with that, we have the forgiveness of sins. And in verse 15 to 20, he's going to talk about Jesus and, and, and who Jesus is and how he is absolutely qualified to be the center of our lives like no other person. But here in verse 14, he's leading us to verse 15. He's like, in Jesus we have redemption. In Jesus we have the forgiveness of sins. Do you understand how important that is? This is the reason why we're thankful. People all over the world are trying to do things to feel like they're forgiven. Even people going to church don't always accept the fact that they're forgiven. I, mean, I sat with, on a missions trip, and a guy I brought with me from my church, he's sharing his testimony to these, to these Russian guys with me around the table, and, 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 his, and his testimony comes out that he's doing this missions trip to kind of pay back God for the, hard, you know, the bad things he had done right back when he was a teenager. And I'm like, that doesn't, it doesn't really work that way. Forgiveness is a full and free pardon of everything we've done. God's not looking for you to pay him back. He doesn't need that. He, Christ paid it all. I mean, his sacrifice was sufficient for every one of your sins that you've committed and will commit. And you're forgiven. Religions want you to stay unforgiven. 
to feel like you got to keep working for it, to, to just kind of grab you by the scruff of your neck and hang you over the precipice and be like, are you forgiven? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, maybe not. You know, if I let go, you're not, you know, and, and you're just like, oh, am I, you know, is God going to accept me? Even in my tradition, my, my, my parents, I mean, they would go to church and, and they'd pray, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. And they'd go home and they wouldn't know. Was he merciful? I don't know. I hope so. Maybe. I'll go back tomorrow and I'll pray again. I'll go to someone's grave and I'll pray over that grave because hopefully someone will do that for me when I die. And they, they didn't understand that you have the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. It's full and complete. So why wouldn't you put your, your life and your focus on this target? Only in Jesus Christ do we have the full forgiveness and pardon for our sins. No church can offer you that. No other religion can offer you that. You personally cannot offer that for yourself. Only Christ can take away the guilt and the shame associated with your sin. He says, here is the reason we're thankful. So this week, it's another week. And as you enter this week, you're going you're gonna to be tempted to not be focused on Jesus. <laughs> but I'm encouraging you to take this prayer and say, I'm going to pray this for myself and for those in my sphere of influence, for my children, my grandchildren, my friends. That I'm going to start taking this, you know, like, like I, I want to actually get on this target. I want all of my life to be balanced as I focus my life supremely on Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray that I discover the knowledge of his will in spiritual wisdom and understanding. I'm going to, I'm going to pray that, that I live a life worthy of the Lord. That I'm bearing fruit, I'm, I'm growing, I'm, I'm strengthened, I'm, I'm thankful. And you'll be surprised what happens. You'll be surprised. Some of you are a little off target, and, and I get off target. The book of Colossians reminds us to get back on it. Paul prays. He's like, I'm just praying that you be centered and focused on Jesus. And the rest of this book is going to kind of lay out like what it means to, to the knowledge of his will. It's going to lay out you know, how, how to walk worthy and, and how to put this into action. But he's like, this is practical. This is real. This is relevant. This is helpful. I want you Colossians to get this and to stay in this. And, and today I say this to the new people of new life. This is what God wants for you. For you to experience what it means to be centered completely on Jesus Christ. For him just to fill your life in a way that nothing else can. Your work can't do that for you. Your relationships can't do that for you. Your money can't do that for you. Your hobbies can't do that for you. Your sports can't do that for you. Fishing can't do that for you. Crafts can't do that for you. Grandchildren can't even do that for you. I mean, they're fun, but they can't do that for you. I mean, none of this, only Jesus can do. So it's my prayer that you would just experience this prayer in your life as you move forward and move up and out in new life with Jesus Christ. Team, would you come up as I close in prayer? And would you pray with me? If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you today to just to, to cross the line, to, to, to set your sights on Jesus and pull the trigger and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He rose again. I want to follow him today. I want that. I want this. This is what I need. I I encourage you to receive Christ today. And if you've just kind of slipped off out of the main target, this morning, just bring your heart back to the center. Say, yeah, Jesus, I just want to be there. Keep me there. Day by day, may I just stay there. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior. For your Holy Spirit, which indwells us. For this church family, which is your body. Christ is our head. Focus our lives today on Jesus Christ. 
I pray, O Lord, that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That we would live a life worthy of your name and please you in every way. Lord, help us to bear fruit in every good work. To continually grow in the knowledge of God. To be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might for that patience and endurance and steadfastness. And fill our hearts with the joyful thanksgiving for all you've done in our lives. We are no longer in the darkness. We are in the kingdom of light, the son of you, Lord. Thank you for the redemption, the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for that we are forgiven today. And Lord, I pray today that you would empower the church family of New Life to share this glorious good news with the people they meet here in Lord Minster this coming week. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as already said. Amen. Well,